you're listening to Irish Radio Canada at home and abroad and should you head to West Clare uh, when you come to Ireland and first of all there's no reason why you shouldn't head to West Clare because you're going to come across the most fantastic region of traditional Irish music where there's festivals and there's a richness that has survived many many years and Harry Hughes is here with me and he, we are sitting in the West Clare what's, what's the official title? Well we're sitting um, in uh, Austin yeah. we're sitting also in the Music Makers of West Clare Visitor Centre that's where we're sitting now, so to put that geographically before we talk too much, it's, I, w- I won't say quite innocuous, but it is, because it's like a, just a house on the side of the street. It's a house on the side of the street, and the, the street is called the Flag Road, Milton Malbay, and it leads out from Milton Malbay to Spanish Point, the uh, holiday resort uh, out the road, beside the sea, about two miles out. Uh, it's a house that you might pass by, but if you look closely, you'll see the sign outside, uh, the music makers of West Clare. And there's a sign up on the whichever end of the house that is, I'm not sure north, south, east or west Ooh, gable. Well, the west end. On the west gable, yes. So if you're coming in from which side? If you're coming in from Spanish Point, from the sea, with the sea to your back, uh, you're coming in and on the left hand side you're looking up the f- uh, uh, as you enter the street, the first two story house on the left hand side the music makers of West Clare. That's it. So okay. we've got our geography. We have our geography. Because yeah, that's yeah. the most important thing to start uh, To locate it. It is. And then it's open uh, how, what are the opening hours here? Uh, the opening hours then in the high season, summertime, that would be from May to the end of August. We're open from 11 o'clock in the morning to 6 o'clock in the afternoon. That's six days a week. Right. Then as we move into the off season beginning in uh, October, we're open from um, midday to 6 o'clock right. in the afternoon. Six days a week, still six days a week. Right. So I take it anything like this is volunteer-based? It's all volunteer-based. Uh, we have a volunteer board of directors. And uh, everything we do, we do it on our own bat. We don't get any uh, reward for it, any financial remuneration or anything of that nature. Entirely voluntary. Uh, we do, of course, get grants for certain specific projects that we would put on. Okay. For example, one of our big events during the year is the Concertina Crinu, which is the Concertina Gathering, in other words. And it's a weekend of events of lectures, classes, concerts, and recitals. Okay. And that takes place in the middle of February every year. We're now into our coming into our seventh uh, concertina, consecutive concertina trio. Uh, other project we may take on would be um, oral history project. For example, we have uh, already done uh, 24 oral history interviews with local people. Okay. And we're building up an oral history picture of the local community. Okay. We've interviewed a wide, wide range of people. clergymen, fishermen, farmers, musicians, uh, artisans, whatever, right. probably the broad spectrum of society. And we've interviewed them and got their lifestyles, their life history. So social history. Social history. Yeah, and social history. And um, you know, for something of that social history, we would, of course, get uh, financial support from Naturally. people like the Heritage Council, for example, from right. our last uh, uh, pr- uh, series of videos for the um, Constantine Quinu I mentioned a, a few minutes ago. Yeah. We would get funding from the Arts Council and Tier County Council, the local authority. So for specific projects, right. we do get funding. But we don't get any funding for it to pay our mortgage or to run the right. building or anything right. of that nature. That's a voluntary exercise. So, um, Coming back to your concertina crino in February, um, this is a, a great heartland for the concertina because there's parts of the country it really it's it's not that well played or I shouldn't say well it's not played that much. Um, uh, yeah, well, concertina is is is, is one of the central instruments in county care. Right. You know, we, we we've had great concertina players here, people like Paddy Murphy from Kilmaley, Mrs. Cotty, of course, from Kilrush. Uh, other player, other player, concertina player, very very well noted, uh, Junior Crehan from Mullen. Right. You could add Chris Stroney from Bell Harbour and North Clare, uh, John Kelly, who will live most of his life in Dublin, but a noted concertina player from uh, Carrigan Hall to West Clare. So, all over the place in County Clare, you have concertina players, right. men and women. Right. It is the county that is associated with the concertina. And, it's an and that's why it's important that should, we should have it here. Indeed, in and it's an interesting instrument because yeah, it, it's, it's challenging, I would imagine. It's not an easy instrument 
to to learn if you if you haven't had some probably um, insight into some music earlier on in life it probably is it probably is and uh, people who who start learning it uh, do find that about it that it's a complicated enough instrument. Yeah. It looks simple, a small little instrument, uh, but uh, it takes a little bit of mass. I mass know, and, and quite, there's not that many buttons on it, which no. makes it an awful lot more complicated. In other words, to get a high standard of music out of it. Correct. Yeah. But yes. people like we have, uh, for example, another uh, young, young, of the younger uh, musicians we have here, a local girl to Edel Fox, well, yes. very well known as a tutor yeah. of the Constantina and as a public performer. So you can see it. There's a depth to a concertina playing in County Clare, which yeah. I don't think you will find in any other county. Probably not. Probably not. I don't think. So, uh, You're looking no. at a great range of concertinas there, of course, too. I, I am indeed, and we'll, we'll talk yeah. about that in a bit yeah. when we go on, on walkable. But mm-hmm. the other thing then is, um, why would you pick February um, for something like that? Because while I'll accept it may be a, a predominantly player instrument, um, it surely has an international appeal that would attract mm-hmm. people. But maybe not in February. Well, yeah. The, the Although the I can see people we've been the wanting to get out of the snow. Yes, uh, that's maybe one of the reasons. And people from Russia have come here, and people from Japan, and people right. from Sweden, and people from the nearer countries on the mainland Europe have come uh, on that February. And it can sometimes be a nice, mild February weekend, and sometimes it can be a bitter, cold, lashing rain, and the wind of the Atlantic is always out there. Anyway, quite uh, February. I suppose initially when we started locating a date uh, uh, for the concertina. We wanted to get a date that would be reasonably free of other events. And remember the Irish traditional music calendar now at the moment is tightly packed. You know, there, there are so many events all over the country. 367 days. Exactly, exactly. 52 weeks of the year. There, yeah. there is 52 weeks of the year. So we said, where do we find something um, a weekend that would be reasonably free, not encumbered on either side? Yes. And we came and we looked at February. That yes. uh, February would be the one air as early in February as possible. But then again, we looked at it and we thought, well, the midterm break, the school midterm break, comes around about the Valentine's Day period. Okay. And that would afford um, children who are going to school, national school and secondary school, to give them the opportunity to come okay. and the parents could stay over the weekend. They could stay over the weekend rather than having to rush back on Sunday on Sunday evening yeah. after the events yeah. were over, just to give them that little bit of extra yeah. uh, time to attend the last Sunday night concert. So we selected February, the middle oh, yeah. of February. And we would be a, more or less, we're the beginning, if you look at it, we're the beginning of the traditional music season. Okay. It starts with our concertina premium in the middle of February and after that then all the other events in County Care, for example, the uh, a Thin Weekend, uh, the Duel and Russell, uh, Russell Weekend, they all begin to come into play. Okay. And they go right on up to then I presume that the end of it would be the end of the traditional music season really would be ending with um, the Collins Cooley Weekend up in Gart and the um, Willie, Willie Keane Weekend down here in Dunbeck. Okay. In Brussels, yeah. So when was this facility established and what was the driving force of the, yeah, the, the organization that established the Music Makers of West Clare was formed in 2003. It was called Ireton Clare, meaning Clare Heritage. Okay. And what happened was a group of us with common interests, in other words, the promotion and preservation of Irish traditional music, uh, we were aware that there were quite a number of collections of music here in the Milton Malby area and in the West Clare area, in other words, not only Milton Malden, but out in Mullock and Quilty and other places. Right. There were private collections, uh, recordings of uh, musicians and singers done over the years, over maybe a 50-year period, but they were on the old reel-to-reel tape, first of all, and then on the cassette tapes. And um, these uh, collections were lying in private, they were in private houses. Right. And we thought that would be interesting if they were assembled together in one location. be interesting for the general public, yeah, to be made aware of it. It would be interesting for research students who might be at the University of Limerick doing one of the many courses that are on there in Limerick to come out here and listen to these uh, tape recordings of well-known musicians like, for example, Willie Clancy or Junior mm-hmm. Green and Michael Russell and, and lesser-known musicians mm-hmm. who would have been well-known locally but not known on any national uh, mm-hmm. level or known in, in third-level institutions or anything like that. And that idea was in our mind. So we formed the organization. Now, we had no premises for a while. We formed the organization and we had a number of meetings and uh, we laid our plans and eventually we thought we would 
or at least attempt to rent or purchase a building. And we look around at various possibilities for renting over a number of years. Mm-hmm. Eventually, in 2007, just before Christmas 2007, uh, the property that we're living in, uh, that we're here in now, uh, came on the market. We opened up negotiations and we had it purchased uh, early in 2008, by the end of January 2008. And that would have been at a time when property was depressed? Price-wise. It would have been the end of what they call those in those days the Celtic Tire. That was coming to an end. Yes, that's it. Just coming to an end. Uh, property prices may not have plummeted to the levels they plummeted to a few years afterwards. Okay. But they were on the certainly on the way down. The graph was on the way down. And uh, uh, we purchased this place here, as I say, end of 2007, beginning of 2008, and then we looked around at the the, the general state of the building was quite good. Yeah. But we needed to make re- some refurbishments and alterations with a view to what we had in mind, creating an archive. Right. So, in other words, the collections were out there in private houses. We would have hoped to assemble those into one uh, area and create an archive. So, obviously, we carried out renovations over 2000 and, uh, 2008. We carried out the renovations in the place. And um, this is the building then that we're in now that you see. This is so, you officially happened. opened then 2008? We would have been opened in 2009. Nine. We opened right. in so, you're 10 years? We would be 10 years, uh, 10 years on the go now. Uh, mm-hmm. That would be, uh, we opened uh, as an archive. We brought in the yes. archival material that we had already, that we were aware of, that we knew existed. We brought in that archival material, material here and housed it uh, in, this, in the premises. Uh, quite a lot of it upstairs and in the different rooms, which we will see in a few minutes. Um, now, of course, the problem was. How do you attract? Uh, how do you attract business? And of course, we had informed the um, universities in Galway and in Limerick that we were here and we had our archive and they gave them lists of what we had. And we did have interest. Okay, we did have right. interest, but really, uh, maybe not sufficient to um, keep the place open. Right. After all, a mortgage had to be paid. Yeah. The insurance had to be paid. Electricity, all the utility bills had to be looked after. And um, somewhere around about um, 2010, 2011-2012, uh, uh, we made contact with uh, a company based in Shannon called Shannon Images, and that company specialised in uh, promotions, okay. advertising promotions. In other words, a large-scale adventures where it involving uh, videos, involving television work, involving panels, sophisticated technology. And the uh, owners of Shannon Images said, okay, we'll come in with you and uh, we will display what you have in your archives. In other words, we're going to make it accessible to the public. Because up till then, if a student or a member of the public came in here to look at our archive, it mm-hmm. was a time-consuming exercise. Uh, you would have to have an hour or two or three to do what you wanted to do. Right. And if we were intent on attracting uh, tours, bus tours, well, they would have a schedule of three quarters of an hour, an hour. That's about as much as they would have, yeah. because they're in between visits to different places all along the way. And short attention span. And short attention span, too. So uh, the idea was then we should create a visitor center okay. in this building called Earth. And this is called Ours Earth and Claw, the building of Earth, of Earth and Claw. The Clare Heritage and the building of the Clare Heritage Centre. So let's have a visitor centre here. So we did. We called it the Music Makers of West Clare. And as you can see in there, the Music Makers of West Clare, it um, illustrates the archive that we have here in our building. And the archive is primarily about, well, it's primarily on Irish traditional music with an emphasis on the traditional music of there. And as you'll see in the panels there, you'll see references to the two panels on the Willie Clancy Summer School. And you'll see a reference, a panel to devoted to Michael Fawzi, a local piper and musician. Another one to the well-known piper Willie Clancy, yeah. his background and everything else that you can see uh, up there. Seamus Innes as well. So this is giving the visitor who's coming in the door a flavour of what we have in the archive. Right. And um, it um, summarises the history of player traditional music on those panels. Now there are 22 of those panels altogether. We'll see the rest of the Austin upstairs we walk through. And the panels and the information on the panels uh, is complemented by uh, two videos. One is um, 
an eight-minute uh, video on the history and evolution of Irish traditional music, and the other one is the video of the session, which was filmed uptown here in right. one of the pubs uptown, just to give people a live... Uh, now, of course, once they come to West Clare, if they're staying overnight, they probably will get an opportunity to be part of the session anyway, but in some cases, they're not staying in Clare, they're moving on, so at least they'll be able to experience, through the video, a live session. And, of course, we live in, uh, in a world where um, there is a perception at times that uh, if someone goes into a pub and there's a session on, that it's nearly been staged. But in this part of the world, it's just it's there. Oh, so it just exists. It's absolutely there. Like, I mean, there, for example, if you, uh, if you were here in Milton Malby now during the summertime, you have music in some of the places uh, for seven nights of the week. Yeah. Uh, and uh, not only just in one premise, and then quite a number of them. Yeah. Okay, now that tapers off during the off-season. But you will still have the guaranteed a very good session on a Monday night in one of the pubs. Yeah. You'll be guaranteed on Thursday night. You'll be guaranteed Friday night and Saturday night. No, there are many other places in Ireland that would actually kill for to have that choice. And not only that, as I understand it, when you walk in on one of these sessions, you never know who might be sitting there. You absolutely never know. You never know who could be sitting there. There could be one of the greatest fiddlers uh, in the traditional music scene, yeah. a fine car, a gorgeous player, or a Constantine player. They will be there. Indeed. You it's like only last weekend when, when uh, well, at the function I was at, uh, uh, Johnny Madden joined in for a short period of time. Mm-hmm. And then Conor Keane joined in also. Okay. Uh, but you could have Jackie Daly. And could have Jackie Daly. Yeah. Martin Hayes could be, could be, here, could be yeah. here. Noel Hill could be here. Any yeah. of those. You could pass through. Any of the Mulcahy's family, the Mulcahy family. Yeah. Any of them. Yeah. Yeah, you, and, you, can and, name the, you can name the greats in our traditional music and at any given time. Well, particularly maybe towards a holiday weekend, yeah. uh, more than likely. But any weekend, it, right. could, ha- it could happen. I mean, Jackie Daly lives here anyway. Yes, yeah. Conor Kane uh, lives here, goes by. Johnny Madden has a house up the yeah. road. Yeah. So you mentioned when you bought the place, you know, you had to go out and get a mortgage. Um, that's a big risk. It's a big risk, yeah. It's a big risk. So and, uh, you obviously had a team of people who were comfortable with the risk. We had faith in what we were doing. Yeah. And that's the way to put it. Now. We had faith in what we were doing. Sometimes we would have doubted that, that, that faith and the, and the commitment and all that. But uh, at this stage, we're happy in what we're doing. Uh, we're getting there. Uh, the way we would look at this now, having established the premises, having established the archive, having established the visitor centre, the music makers of us there, we're a long way down the road. Mm-hmm in our objectives. And in a few years' time, maybe not this board that I'm a member of, but another board will be able to develop further what we have here, utilize the potentials that are out there. And, and I suppose when you mentioned when you set up and opened the door, like over the last 10 years, as Ireland has recovered uh, from the crash, uh, the tourism figures are greatly increasing uh, constantly mm. to the extent that I think even this year so far that we're talking about close on um, each quarter there's over a million people coming in so having a resource like this that many of the returning diaspora are seeking out is it, you, you, it looks like you did it at the right time I think so okay the, the, the earlier years were quite tough yeah. in other words from when we opened our doors first in 2009-2010 we had very very few people coming here but after we'd established it, uh, the visitor centre on the premises, then more and more people began to come. And of course, the economy was again beginning to recover. And that was reflected in the number of people who were visiting the area. Mm-hmm. In other words, uh, people from Ireland themselves who were now travelling around about had a disposable income and could spend a few days touring the West Coast of Clare or stay in the town Albert for a night to do. They came in too. Also, the overseas tours began to come back again mm-hmm. and uh, we would have a, an established number of tours that we have coming out from America and from other places right. here that we have association with. They are all tours that would have a, an, an interest in our traditional music. That right. would be the, the common base. Because but I know as well that there are quite a few um, immigrants in the music industry in North America who lead tours to Ireland and yeah. bring, bring their... Mm-hmm. and they, they know Mm-hmm. The where the quality is. They know they know where the we have the tour there. Um, Irish uh, uh, welcome tours, and we have the harp and eagle tours. 
and the, mu- and the music tours, and they all have the, the, the traditional music as a common base. Yeah. And the people they bring here are, uh, many of them in there are musicians themselves, maybe not within the tradition, Irish traditional music genre, right. but there would be musicians, there could be jazz people, there could be blues people, there could be classical, and they would be interested in music. Yeah. And they'd be interested in learning. And we've had some great, uh, what do you call it, I wouldn't call them sessions here, but gatherings, meetings, uh, whereby they go upstairs to look at the um, video that we have on the, um, the Irish music session. And we would have guest musicians in to, to um, play for them and to talk to them. And sometimes there's a tremendous chemistry between the performers and the audience because yeah. the audience know a good deal about the music. Right. They want to know more and they want to discuss the techniques and tactics and styles and everything else. Right. Uh, so something that might you started out as maybe this is going to be about 20 minutes of your overall tour that extends on to an hour. On yes. yeah. And you let it run. And naturally. Great, chemistry, great chemistry. It is. Great dynamics. Yes, indeed. In the people. Indeed. And we, we, love, we love that type of thing. And again, of course, you will get the people in who uh, would be maybe at the end of a long day touring and you'll soon get the sense there you don't want to overburden them yeah. with too much another uh, one's okay uh, we finish off here now and there's a drink for you up the town in a pub right. and, all right. that, like, and right. they're quite happy uh, the whole thing is to make it a good experience Indeed. that's just make it a good experience yeah. shall we go walk about sure we can go for a little drop around the pub here so if, when we come in the door I see we have an old crank um, uh, gramophone, old gramophone, yeah, and it's in good condition by the looks of it. It's like the one that you see in that the cover of his master's voice. Right. Right. Like the dog is missing. Like the Columbia Records or something. Oh, well, it was HMV. His uh, master's, HMV. His master's, master's, master's voice. Yeah. HMV. And the dog is missing. Dog is missing. But that's your introduction. To but it, it's a beautiful. It's beautifully uh, maintained. It is. It's, 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 it's a fine artifact. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. remember when uh, they were being used. I shouldn't say that. But yeah. I remember them too, yeah. I remember them uh, not maybe, I don't remember having one as, uh, at home as elaborate as that. It wasn't as elaborate as no, that. They're more, they're more common or garden type that's of right. ones. Yeah. More, more mass produced. That's a very sophisticated version. Right. Yeah. So as you say, you know, when someone comes into the lobby here, they have the various panels mm. and um, it is giving a flavour on talks about the Willie Clancy Summer School. Went to Willie Clancy Summer School, a huge event. It is, it's a big event. It's uh, the 47th Summer School now was held last July and uh, it's coming up to its 50th right. in three years' time. A big event started off small uh, with four classes a uh, class on inner pipes, one on fiddle, one on whistle, and one on flute, just four, with about um, 50 students contained in one building actually. Now, if you look at it, it's um, over a thousand students annually and it uh, takes in every public building in the town like schools and halls um, community centres uh, marquee specially set up uh, for it uh, the GA clubhouse and then it's, uh, it's out in uh, Spanish Point in the hotels in Spanish Point and in the secondary school it's in the golf club in Spanish Point it's in Quilty in the GA clubhouse in so Quilty. it's a tremendous it's, it's, it's an, uh, an economic real economic driver it's an economic driver it's in other words it occupies Milton Malbay all the public buildings in Milton Malbay plus private houses and the satellite villages of Spanish Point right. Mullet and Quilty it's an economic driver it, it is yes no a beautiful display then of concertinas concertinas and one of the things I'm going to comment on straight off I always took it that concertina was six-sided but I'm looking here and they're not all six-sided there's some four-sided ones and then there's uh, some uh, uh, just unusual shapes yeah and, and very old yeah uh, there is uh, one there that dates to uh, 18, 1828 uh, this one here uh, the, the, the concertinas now belong to a man called Bill Chambers they don't belong to Earth and Claw. Okay. They are on loan to us here, um, on temporary loan. And Steve Chambers would be uh, he's originally from Yorkshire, I think, and he's an expert on the concertina, on the shape that's and design. Uh, and that's that's one you mentioned. It's fascinating with the way the buttons and, well, the, and buttons, yeah. the buttons would lever the the um, reeds. A cavalry officer, I think, who was stationed in Somerset uh, and um, in 1828. However, he came by it. And, uh, but um, Steve Chambers would have the documentation on that. Right. So we now propose to actually get some summary of the overall 
documentation and historical background to all of those kinds of things and display it for the public because it is an interesting display. It is, an it's in very, in, and I'm looking at this one's like the chef for house, like or a bar, bar, like a church dinner. Yeah, 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 and, and it's all different types, all different types of shapes there. And what's and fascinating this one, with this, but what's mm. fascinating with this one is um, there's buttons on the left and right hand side mm. as you look at it, which I, it'd be interesting how you play that. I don't. Well, I don't have any idea in there, Liz. Uh, Cedric, do you have any idea how that would be played? <laughs> <laughs> he's, a, he's a musician, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I think it's, it's uh, unless it's a left-handed and a right-handed, but it's, it's an interesting one. It's, a, it's an interesting collection of that, yeah. So then uh, you have a bust here of... That's uh, uh, Willie Clancy, Clancy himself, yeah, and just over that painting, uh, by Willie Cl- uh, painting by Willie Clancy on that one there. And there's a bust of Willie Clancy, and actually some information about, about his life. About his life yeah. Yeah. So something very really interesting here, uh, we just step back a little bit also. Um, as I said, this house, we renovated it after we purchased the house. And during the course of the renovation, that beam was exposed as this room was being uh, plastered. Okay. And oh. we noticed that there was... Uh, right across it. Across, uh, yeah, right across it. And on closer examination, we discovered some names of interest. Um, over here, if we look from left to right, we see the name. Uh, it's John Cummins. It would be spelled C-O-M-Y-N-S, Cummins. Right. And John Cummins is described there as a master stair builder. Well, John Cummins was a stair builder, a carpenter. Okay. And he lived on this street across the road. Okay. So, okay, his name is scraped in there, or chiseled in there. And then there's a Jack Haley, just barely visible there, Jack yeah. Haley. And uh, he'll be described as Carpenter too. Okay. And then following on it gets interesting, Gilbert Clancy. Yeah. Also a Carpenter. Okay. And his son, Willie Clancy, <laughs> a Carpenter. And a date, which is March 1947, just right. in the far corner there. Right. So now we did discover that this house was transformed from a single-story building to a two-story building in 1947. Right. And obviously John Cullins was the man who had got the contract as the yeah. master yeah, builder. Yeah. And Gilbert Clancy, who was Willie Clancy's father, was yeah. working with them. And, and the young Willie Clancy was no. helping out. When you bought this building, You'd not kill about Absolutely no clue in the world. That, uh, that would have been covered. That's, that's a bonus. Yeah, that would have been covered over. There was no yeah. question about it. We were going to cover over. On Sunday, they lost it. And then they looked more closely, got in torches and looked closely at it there and saw that these names were chiseled in there. Now, yeah. we wonder what happened. And we think that as they were ceiling, putting up the ceiling here, maybe the two older fellows, John Cummins and Gilbert Clancy, left for lunch or for a drink. Right. And the two younger fellows were here and they decided like like thousands of artisans all over the world from medieval times on yeah. scribbled their names on it. Well I know my, my brother in law had did a job for me in my basement and he has his name written. Oh yeah. Uh, it's not visible but when you pull back certain things it's there on, Same, on a yeah. beam. Mm-hmm. And he said any job he does like that he always puts it, signs his name so and puts a date on it. This is a time-honored tradition. Yeah. And they, they probably never thought that, that that would be exposed again but continued on with the ceiling. Of course. See, they were very close to so it. only about three more feet to go and right. uh, the job finished up the wall. But we couldn't let that go and no. recover it again. No. So you had to uh, expose it. No, that's fascinating. So in 1947, uh, that was it. We got that bit of history through right. the theme. Right. Yeah. Oh, fascinating. Okay, so we're coming down, we've just come in through and we're coming down the corridor and I see first off a picture of Junior Crean. Junior Crean, famous fiddler and concertina player from Mullock, out the road. Uh, one of the founder members of Skullsorrow Willie Clancy right. in uh, 1973 and a great influence on the younger generation of, generation of musicians of fiddlers and concertina players, but particularly fiddlers. He was noted authority on Irish traditional music, and his family have continued on that tradition. They have inherited his legacy, and um, he was also uh, he was also a fine singer and storyteller. He had um, a huge collection of uh, stories, uh, different types of stories from the past, and. Um, he was, in every sense of the word, a traditional player. And as I, as I look at that, it, it reminds me, and I know there's a very particular style of playing the fiddle that musicians recognize that 
when something is being played, they'll recognise, well, that's in the West Clare style, or that's yes, the Sligo style, or yeah. in the and they would notice that too. And Junior had a particular style there. He talked about himself in, in several interviews, and uh, you'd see it on television documentaries. In fact, there was one fairly recently issued there just before Christmas in uh, last year. Uh, just simply entitled Junior, it was put out by T.G. Carr. Right. And um, you get a, you get a huge, great picture of Junior and his environment in that particular T.G. Carr documentary. But he, he himself claims he was, um, would, have been, would have learned his music from a man called John Case, Scully Casey, a local man. It would have been all locally inherited. Right. And this is what he passed on to succeeding generations. Um, yeah, he, he, he a storyteller, singer, uh, singer, musician, dancer, all round, all round, all round, all round. absolutely all, all, all round people. Yeah. He's also a composer of, of tunes as well. Yeah. As we move along, one of the great things I've noticed in recent years, particularly, is that uh, at the time of the All Ireland Class, the age group of people out there, uh, <coughs> excuse me, the age group, uh, the young people are embracing music. Oh yes, uh, an interesting point there about, uh, about the young people. The I would say the success of the Lincoln System School, part of the success anyway, was in the early seventies. Younger people were beginning then uh-huh. to embrace Irish traditional music. Many of them had been, they say, and particularly in Dublin, maybe in the cities of the urban areas, they'd been listening to the ballad boom, the, the ballads and the yeah, folk, the, the folk, folk ballads, yeah. and folk scene, and they were interested in that. And then they said, well, like someone had said, well, let's go behind that. They said, what's behind right. that? The instrumental music is there, so somewhere too. Other songs are there in the Irish language, other songs in the English language, right. uh, rather than the ones that are made popular, we'd say, by the Johnny McAvoy's and the. So that would have been around the time of the chief. Both, the, yeah, uh, the, the chief would have been going at that. This would be about the 1970s now, the late right. 60s, early 70s. Chieftains would have been there, Sean O'Reilly and Coulter Coolen had yes. been there, uh, and they, they, the Chieftains had moved on from Coulter Coolen. They were establishing their own identity. Then you had the groups like Coulter Line that were there for a short but Coulter Line had a lot of the young musicians who were starting off at the time, like the likes of Paddy Glacken, now for example, yeah. Ailey McCran. Uh, Peter Phelan, there were young uh, people at the time starting off finding their own voices as it were and they were the people who started coming to the Willie Clancy Summer School. Right. They and many many more and I think that Willie Clancy Summer School captured that enthusiasm right. in the early 70s. Yeah. 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 One of the founders too of the Summer School Martin Telty um, Piper and Whistle Pair from Milton Yeah. yeah. Um, so then uh, Joe Ryan is next up here. Yeah, Joe Ryan uh, from Ina, Ina, mid Clare there. Uh, spent most of his life in Dublin, uh, but never left Clare. Mentally, never ever left Clare. Great stories about him there. That on the weekend uh, he'd go into his local pub, I think it was in Dundalk, and while uh, others would be looking maybe at the soccer on the match or uh, the soccer on the television or think, talking loudly about other things, Joe would be engrossed in the Clare Champion. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. gross. Never left either, uh, mentally. Fine fiddle pair, too, as well. He used to play with uh, John Kelly Sr. and John Kelly Jr., as you see there in the photograph, and um, was one of the tutors, long time tutors at school, sorry, Willie Clancy. Right. Joe Ryan right. from Ina. So uh, we're progressing around and moving around the world, and then John Kelly is from back of the building. Yeah, he's in the back of the building here. Yeah. From um, Ray Cross uh, Kilbaha. Most of his life spent in Dublin, concertine and fiddle pair. Uh, also played with that group uh, that I mentioned there, uh, Sean Reader's Kjoltari uh, Poole, and he played with those, and he played with Kjoltari Line, and he played with the Castle Cayley Band. So he was a very influential character, not only in West Clare, but in Dublin, because he brought what has, what has been said is that he brought a whole uh, West Clare repertoire right. of music into the Dublin scene. You know, what's coming back to me is uh, we talk about this and we're talking about folk music and on, and um, of course, national radio here in the form of RTE always uh, at that time had its traditional uh, programs on the great 
there, which must have been only in Ireland, was where you had a dance program on radio would take the floor with oh, Dinjo. Oh, Dinjo, yeah. Dinjo, that's right. Yeah, yeah. I suppose that, um, that gave rise actually to the, 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 the phrase just, how can you be seen dancing on the radio? <laughs> well, yeah, but it was. And so uh, uh, the music uh, carried it. The music, the music carried it. Nobody thought it was odd. No, nobody thought it was odd. <laughs> the music was so good, music carried it, and the, the personality of Dinjo himself. Like and then, uh, like what, what you were getting was effectively great power on players, but they're using their feet. They're using their feet on the floor. Yeah. <laughs> oh, nobody thought it was odd around. Oh, no. no, no. Uh, mm-hmm. So, local singer there, Ali Khan. Yeah. from Mullock, um, very well known, and uh, kind of a man who would have influenced uh, succeeding generations of singers too as well. So we're not going to stop at everyone last no, Otherwise, otherwise we'd be doing we'd be, a, we'd be yeah. doing a series that had run six months. Yeah. But you can see there that it's it's, it's a fair reflection all the it, time it is. of the traditional music and singing in this particular part of the world, which is built on Malvern and Mullet, just a, a small area in West I Korea. see Kitty Hayes here, I take yes, some yes. relative of Martin's? Uh, of Ma- no, uh, no, Martin's from East Clare, Fiegel Kitty would have been from uh, outside, uh, outside Mullet. Okay, yeah. right. And uh, but it does give you the flair for all the, it, it the wealth of characters and uh, it doesn't it, no. When you say East and West Clare, one of the, the East Clare, of course, Kilpinora, uh, would that be the East? North yeah. or yeah. North? Yeah. But that's famous for the Kelly Band, that's right. and, mm-hmm. and that's and great rhythmic music. But it's also team play, team play. Yeah. Whereas an awful lot of here would it's be solo, solo play. That's solo, yeah, that's solo. Yes. And in East, well, of course, you do have in East Clare, you have the Tully Kelly Band too. Yeah. Uh, in East Clare, uh, but uh, West Clare must have the Kelly Band too, the Lofty Nafi Kelly Band. Right. They, they were able to play in groups and on clubs if they needed to. I guess West Clare had so many individual superstars that didn't need the band. They didn't need, <laughs> they didn't need the band. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how that would go down <laughs> in North Clare. <laughs> I don't think I'd go down well in Kilpinora either. You might go down well in Kilpinora, not in North Clare. You might not go down so well. So, Gareth, Gareth more or less, you'd be saying there that all right, the West Clare has all these great solo uh, artists, like uh, North Clare is lacking in that. Well, I mean, the North Clare people yeah, have something to say in there, and uh, they're fine musicians in North Clare. So Gareth O'Hullohan, Raw Halloran, who's down the road from me in Master Hall, will tweet now I've been taking an unfair dig at him. He would, like, I think you're taking an unfair dig at that. He's close to you in Montreal. He is, he is. Okay. <laughs> I'll show the fine musicians in the north there. I mean, oh, yeah. uh, Jimmy Ward, who lived up the road here, played the banjo, played different instruments actually. He was with the Kiltonora Kelly Band, and he was with the local Lachdinitha Kelly Band too. Right. Well. And uh, you have Chris Stroni in North Clare, you have the Russells, the yeah. Kilouris. Fine. I've just seen a name and it surprises me. Because uh, Edward Bunting. Yeah. I wouldn't have uh, associated him with traditional music in any. Well, he would have been one of the original collectors. Yeah. Uh, Edward Bunting. Uh, he was the secretary at the Heart Festival in uh, Belfast, 1792 or whatever. Yes, yeah. 1792. And his collection would be the foundation of the collections of Irish traditional music, really. Yeah. Yeah, Edward Bond. This room now is dedicated more or less to the history uh, of Irish traditional music, its collections and the manuscripts and right. the different institutions and organizations of, and, and people who were involved in collecting the music from the late 18th century right up until the 1970s. Yes. And I see what would have been traditional music through the media in effect. With exactly, yeah. Like RT and uh, called for some then the recording industry. Kieran McMahon. Up to the establishment of the Irish Traditional Music Archive, which was uh, in 1989. Right. The official body now for preserving and, and um, archiving Irish traditional music. So this is the room when people come up and you put on the, the video on the This is where we yes. goes with the information on the panels that yes. you see. All, that's all about the history, the collections, the evolution of Irish traditional music from the late 18th century up to the uh, 1980s. Right. And the video complements supports that. it. Yeah. And uh, a wonderful looking library here. Yeah, I can only them. imagine what's in there. And quite a range of material. And not only just now on traditional music, but on local history, archaeology and folklore as well, local literature. Right. And all that's in there. Uh, references to uh, the local Gaelic poet, Neolacomin, will be a 17th century, and uh, to uh, Thomas O'Hay, a local man, and we'll see his map in a minute now. Okay. He is a local man, uh, born in the late 19th century, died in the mid-20th century, 1935, I think. 
he published the first map of Ireland of the Irish language and we have it in here, we'll see it in a minute when you mention the Irish language, um, is the we're not in a great period. No, but, but the, is, is the language strong? Uh, I wouldn't describe that as strong at the moment, no, but there are uh, quite a number of people who speak the Irish language. Okay? Yes. And there are communities here in Milton Malbay who speak the Irish language, speak it in every chance they get. And that would be true of other towns and villages as well. But with the, on a global basis, uh, it would certainly be stronger in Clare now than it would have been 20 years ago. Right. Because there's more effort made. And of course, there's Gael Scullin. There's Gael Scullin around about the places as well, from between Innes and North Clare, East Clare, West Clare. Right. They're there. Uh, quite a lot of Gael Scullin. And there are enthusiastic people who will promote the language at every yeah, opportunity. I saw something where, during the last week or something that the registrations for Gael Scullin that uh, they don't have the capacity to cope with That's the registrations. Yeah. Mm. And there's quite a huge increase in Dublin and urban yeah. areas. Yeah. yeah. But in that the, the language is certainly is certainly flourishing. I would describe it as flourishing uh, in pockets okay. and in different interest groups. And the Clare County Council and Clare Thame, that's the local radio, yeah. makes a particular effort to use Irish and, right. to, and to provide the opportunities for people to use Irish. And of course, the music community, the traditional Irish community, uh, would be very. Um, open well, to, very to, open. To, to that whole cultural connection as well. They're absolutely sympathetic yeah. and open. Yes, yes, yes. yes. sympathetic and open. Yeah. And that, would, that panel there talks about the status of the Irish language, the history of it, first of all, and the current status of the Irish language in County Clare. Right. Yeah. But I would think that County Clare is certainly, institutions in County Clare, like local authorities and like Clare, them, are open to and sympathetic to the Irish tradition of music. Now, uh, or to the Irish language, um, this is the map. Um, that was created by a local man, Thomas Hayes or Tomaso Hay. I have seen that in my school books. Indeed, everybody would have seen it in the school books. The, those map, that map was replicated thousands of times. Every national school in Ireland had that map. Many a schoolboy trembled in front of that map when he wasn't able to point that out. That wasn't on the front or the back of the copy, was it? Uh, it would have been on the back of the copy, maybe. Yeah. I think it might have been. Yeah. The as well as being on the school wall, it's probably on the back of the copy too, yeah, as well. Right, yeah. But that is actually uh, Austin the original. Right. This is the document that he worked on when he was developing the map. He and another uh, another local man from uh, outside Mount Paulic O'Hare, uh, collaborated in. Uh, it was in Dublin. They did the work. He was a national school teacher. And he was a member of the Gaelic League. Okay. And obviously he was uh, promoting the Irish language and yeah. de-anglicizing the country. He was part of that particular Douglas Hyde movement of de-anglicization, uh, late 19th century, early 20th century. And the map is a product of that particular period. So, that being the original, mm -hmm. that's not a print. Or what is it? That is the... the no, because, because, you know, in this day and age, a graphic designer will work on a computer and they can create a document. Yeah. Uh, whereas, uh, back then, what a cartographer would have had to do, probably was to... Um, it would, like, is that hand... Create, it must be hand created. Hand created, yeah. yeah. If you look closely enough, not only you see the hand, it's there's hand created. You'll see his comments. Here, written yes. in. Okay. Written in. Comments are written in here. Comments are written in up here too as well. Where he's and and what, I'm, what I'm looking at is even in the drawing of the outline of the map, mm -hmm. would that have been hand drawn well, on that The outline of, of the map would have come from that company okay. in England, a London based company, Bacon and Company. So he would have. They supplied the outline map. They supplied okay. the outline. With, with no, with, with no blank. 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 So he then went and put every dot. And put every dot. And, ev and every place name as written there is written in hand um, on that piece of paper. On that and written in linen or whatever was probably yeah. on. I think I don't know what the material now was made of. Um, but a painstaking job. A painstaking job. And then the common sin would be. The way he would have he had different ideas as how to how uh, area places and uh, headlands should be named. He had different ideas and different comments on that there. And so we're still with the vultures. And you're still with that. So you're still in those days. Uh, that map then was as uh, replicated yes. thousands of times and, and revised, of course, revised and updated. And I'm not too sure now what status that map would have in schools at current day uh, at the moment. 
Well, uh, but certainly up until when I was at school in second, but national school and the secondary school, it was used. That map was used. It's and just I think much later than that too. I noticed the spelling in some place <laughs> has changed recently. Probably, yeah. Uh, even as barely, that's how, uh, how um, the, the village up the road seems to have two spellings Which in both directions. Oh yeah, the, the one up here is it? In Lange. Oh, Lange, and, yeah. and in the same. Yeah, I think that what they're doing there, they're going back to the Ordnance Survey spellings. Okay. That's what they're doing there, actually. They had a certain a spelling evolved from local, I suppose, pronunciation of it and uh, local spelling as well. Uh, people spelling it the wrong way. But now they're, the local authorities have gone back to the spellings on the Ordnance Survey. So in survey. effect, what's happening is they're going back, when you said going back, um, they're going back to the original rather than going back to the, uh, what was the corrupted. Yeah, they're, they're going back to the original. Yeah. Right. Yeah. There you see now how big Shrajna Kakra Milton Malbay looks on the map there. Right. So, well, as a Milton Malbay man, obviously he was uh, promoting his own place he was too indeed. as well. Yeah. He, was He's, he was born up the street on the main street. Right. And, uh, but then you say, we didn't know that existed, actually. Okay. But it was through um, conversation with people, and eventually we came in contact with his grandniece. And his grandniece had quite a lot of his material in it, stored in an attic, books and pamphlets and right. all that. Plus this map, which was in uh, more or less uh, in three pieces at the time. And we had to get a conservation job. You can, if you look at the cost, you'll see there, and you'll see there's another conservation. Right. We got a professional conservationist to do that to restore them. An amazing piece. One of the things things we didn't actually say uh, on this was that we are probably looking at six feet by close on four feet, or five, it's, it's, or seven by. I'd say it's four, it's four feet by six. Four, four by six, yeah. Yeah. Four, yeah, four by six. Yeah, approximately four, yeah. four by six, and let's see, into yeah, a throne particular frame yeah. in there. Yeah, because like, as we were talking about it, yeah, the level of detail. People want to see but, it. But you kind of think, well, a map, and it may have come out, and it was maybe 30 inches by... Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. But no, we're looking at six foot by four It's a full, yeah, full-scale yeah. wall map. Yeah. But anybody, um, anybody who would have been uh, in the Irish primary school system or secondary school system, certainly up until the 1980s, would be familiar with that map because that map was replicated and then it was amended and updated over over the decades. Yeah, yeah. But we're very proud of that. That's the central central art. So this as well you have here on the screen in here and this will be where you uh, show the history. Well, yes, uh, um, as you see, this room here in our Austin, if you look at the panel, instruments that they have here. There's fiddles in here, and there's concertinas in here. They're dancing in Ireland, there's singing, uh, noted singers, and the different instruments are referred to. So this particular video here uh, illustrates the instruments in action in a typical session. So, so each room has its own theme. Right. So over the course of the year now, or particularly in the summer season, what kind of throughput do you see? Uh, you'd see about maybe on an average day, you would have four or five people coming in here. Over the week, then you could have 25, 30 people okay. coming in on an, on an average day. Now this is apart from bus tour, from bus tour. How are you doing? Those tours are doing quite well. They've improved um, since uh, last year, right. in the sense that we'll be getting now about in the high season, perhaps two months to major bus tours. And, and these would be less, of course, once we come into the off season. And these would have been either to going on to or from the cliffs. The, normally, the situation, yes, it would involve the cliffs. They would come here to Clare, maybe base themselves in North Clare or in um, Ellis, and then they would take in places like the Corfean Heritage Centre, right. take in Kilfenora Heritage Centre, take in maybe Alwy Cave, okay. Carcon, um, Stone Fort. The Kilsamore would be a big one, and then they come down here to us. Then. Right. Usually, they would end off their tour here with us. They okay. have done the outdoor business, and then they come in here around four o'clock, and they'll settle down. We could have, as I said, a session of music organised for them here. Maybe we'd have a dancing class organised for them. Maybe we'd have a singing session. So they partake on that for about an hour or so, and then they go and have their tea and, and stay for a session of military Melbourne. Right. That's the the pattern. Because it was like I've, I've got the opportunity to visit. Uh, um, 
that's ordained. Mm, that would be another one on there. And of course, these are beautiful, but down a little narrow road. And yes. you know, yeah. it's, it's yeah. like here that it's a little treasure. Uh, as is Dicer Dodi and some of these other places. They are, they're, but they're off the, the they're little bit track. They're not yeah. quite off the beaten track, yeah, they're just kind of outside the field of I vision. Know, but of course, the big ones, Aylwe Cave and the, the, the cliffs will be taken into account. Yeah. Carrickon and now the Stone Fort, which is a magnificent site, yeah. is usually on their route, Paul Nebron. But we're normally, and it, it, it suits us that way, they come in at the end of their days too. They're yeah. ready just for this, they're ready for entertainment, they're ready for a bit of dancing, they're ready for some music. We give them that, have the tea, and nice. they stay on for a session. Right, nice. Wind up. So we've another big, the big, next big tour is coming in October, I think, about thirty people coming. In. Okay, but as I say it gets less now. So for those tours, because of you know this had was a house, <laughs> it's not like custom built buildings that were specifically designed with white stairs. No, the rest. No, you would get notice, and you'd need to get notice that there's a, a bus coming. Yes, that you can actually cater with. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. You, you have to. Give. For example, um, we can take about thirty people here. Okay. And if we had more than 30 people, which we've had on some places, okay, we have to take them in two lots. That's the yeah. only way we can, we can do it. Right. To, uh, for in the interest of health and safety and comfort. Naturally. So, um, but it works. Once we know anyway, it works. Now, if, if for example, uh, you wanted to um, see everything that's upstairs on the uh, two videos, and you can go upstairs, you can simply yes, get in here yeah. to this one downstairs. Right. And now we do have... Um, the um, different languages we have it in um, the upstairs. We have the videos in Irish, yes. English, French, and German. Right. And we move on to Italian and Spanish. Fantastic. Yeah. So Fantastic. it makes it easier for the visitor Fantastic. to do that. Well, it's very fascinating in every respect to come in because, as I said, you, you can walk past the building out there and not realize yeah. the richness that's inside the door. Yeah, so there's just two, two, two story houses on this side of the yeah. street here. And uh, you could easily pass this one out you see okay. if you're coming out. But if you look up, you'll see you'll the makers of West there. That's right. You see the sign outside the door. And in here, then, is Arath and Clore, the visitor centre, and all that we've been talking about. Yeah. So we should give the website. Yeah. I can tell you, too, the next event coming up might be of interest you know. Okay. The man that uh, created the map, Tommaso Hay. Yeah. We have a weekend here coming up in October dedicated to Tommaso Hay. It's called Aisha Hamashi A, the school, uh, school in honor of Tommaso uh, Hay. And what will it focus on? It'll focus on uh, there'll be uh, singing classes, there'll be a recital, and there'll be a lecture. Okay. And a lecture will be dealing with the aspects of the war and independence. There's also a major lecture in it. So, website, themusicmakers.ie, and we're in Milltown Malby, and if you can't find it, just ask. Just ask. Just, just go ask. in anywhere in yeah. the town, just ask, where yeah. is the Music Makers of West Clare, and you'll be well there. Yeah, okay. And there are some of the tours we get, Irish and Wild Atlantic music tours, and Irish welcome tours, and so on and Indeed. so forth. Yeah. Well, thanks a million for taking the time. It's been brilliant, fascinating. You've enjoyed it. I have indeed. That's good. That's good. Yeah.